We're talking about sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus, how the gospel goes forward, how it goes out. That was what our leadership retreat was about. Um, and also last week we had Mitch Foreman, um, who is a, himself a gifted evangelist. That's what he spends his days doing, uh, training evangelists and missionaries or doing evangelism and mission work. Um, he gave very practical advice about how to actually do evangelism. He did a great job, and he actually stayed in Matthew 13, because the end of Matthew 13 um, talks about Jesus going out to his own hometown and how they react there. Uh, but we're going to go back, same chapter, a little earlier. Uh, we got some more parables to cover. Uh, today we're going to cover two short parables. Uh, and probably the first one's more familiar than the second, but the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, or the yeast. Um, they're similar parables. They say almost the same thing. But it's interesting that there's two of them. Uh, one, one takes place in the outside, outside in the field. Talks about farming and sowing seed and plants growing. The other takes place in the home, more domestically, inside the kitchen. The first one, Jesus says, a man went out to sow a seed. The second one, a woman went and mixed the yeast into the rest of the flour. But both of them talk about how the kingdom of God starts small. It starts small and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows or spreads and spreads and spreads until eventually it fills the entire thing. Now what is the kingdom? We talk about that terminology. Jesus says specifically that these refer to the kingdom. Um, he says the kingdom of heaven. For Matthew, the term heaven was a stand-in for the term God. So in the Jewish culture in particular, he didn't use the name God very often. Uh, out of reverence for the name, you would use something different. So, you know, the prodigal story of the prodigal son, uh, I've sinned against heaven and against you. What he means is I sinned against God and against you. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God, the reign of God. Without a, you can't have a kingdom without a king. Jesus is that king. He's present. And if he's present, he has a kingdom. He has a rule or a reign. Uh, we say, is that the same as the church? No. Uh, they're closely related, but not, they're not quite the same. The church are the people now who have entered into the kingdom, who have come under submission, uh, subjection to the true and living king, to the king of kings, and to, to Jesus. But the kingdom is, is broader than that. It refers to his rule and his reign over everything. And how does that happen? It starts off small, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it becomes large. Look with me, there's an outline in your bulletin, but we're going to be in Matthew 13, 31 to 33. Matthew 13, 31 to 33, we learn these two parables. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Two short parables that talk about how the kingdom starts small and grows and grows and grows uh, from there. Like I said, there's an outline in your bulletin. We're going to look at how, how the, to know that the kingdom starts small, uh, then to watch the kingdom grow and grow, and then to believe that the kingdom will get very, 
very large. So first of all, he talks about the smallness of the kingdom. In the first parable, he chooses the mustard seed. Um, anybody here like mustard? I like mustard. Good. I, 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 let's ask this question. How many people here like golden mustard? How many people here prefer yellow mustard? Oh, golden. I think golden won that one. That was pretty close. I'm not so sure there. Uh, I like mustard. Mustard is made from mustard seeds. Some of you guys know what mustard seeds look like. Um, I have a thing of mustard seeds here. They're tiny, right? As you guys know, if I had to pull one of these out, I don't know. Oh, I, th I think I just broke your thing there, Jess. This is from Kidtown. Um, uh, I can't even get one. They're so tiny. Let's see here. All right, I'm dropping them all over the place here. But uh, here we go. There's one mustard seed. Can you guys all see it? <laughs> no. In fact, you need to zoom in pretty far to see it. It's a tiny little thing. You see the ones on the screen. Um, it, Jesus said it's the smallest mustard, it's the smallest seed used in the agricultural world there in the first century. Um, it's not the smallest seed in the world, by the way. I was curious, uh, what is the actually smallest seed that we know of? Uh, the world's smallest seed is the epiphytic orchard. Uh, it grows in the tropical rainforest. Some seeds are about one three hundredth of an inch long. They are unseen by the unaided human eye. They weigh, ready for this, one, one thirty-five millionth of an ounce. That's how much they weigh, 0 .1, 0 0.81 micrograms. Uh, they're dispersed into the sky like dust, and they kind of rest on the top of trees. That's the smallest seed that we know of uh, in the world. But of course, Jesus is speaking using language that they understand. This is the smaller seed they would have used. And they take that little tiny seed, they drop it into the ground there in hopes that something big will actually come out of that. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And you, you're, they're familiar with the tininess, the smallness, of the mustard seed. Uh, similarly, he has the parable of the leaven. Uh, you take a little tiny bit of leaven. Um, anyone here make their own bread? Some people, right? So you take a little tiny bit of leaven and you add that to a good amount of flour. Um, I was curious, I'm not a big cook, so I looked this up for, I guess the, uh, this is on some website. One pound of flour uses about seven grams or two and one quarter teaspoons of yeast. So a tiny bit of yeast for a large amount of flour. The kingdom starts small, very small. And you might be saying, okay, what, what, is, what is the kingdom referring to here? Um, it could be, certainly, that he's referring to um, our own soul. And I think that's true. The rule or the reign of God starts off really small. Uh, where does it start off? It starts off with a tiny <laughs> modicum of faith. It starts off with perhaps a genuine and sincere prayer that says to God, God, I believe in your son Jesus as Savior and Lord over my life. I'm a mess. I haven't got it all figured out. There's a lot wrong with my life. I'm filled with guilt over all different sins, but I'm starting somewhere. It starts off as a tiny mustard seed, as a little piece of yeast, trusting in you. This is one of the ways that Matthew Henry took it. I have his quote up there. Matthew Henry said, The apostles, by preaching the gospel, hid a handful of leaven in the great mass of mankind, and it was made powerful by the Spirit of the Lord of hosts, who works and none can hinder. Thus it is in the heart. When the gospel comes into the soul, it works a thorough change. It spreads itself into all the powers and faculties of the soul and alters the property even of the members of the body. 
The kingdom starts small. But I do think also he is referring to historically uh, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign of God, and the way it's worked in the world. Uh, when you think about it, where did the kingdom start? It started with one man. It started with Jesus himself walking out to John the Baptist to get baptized by him, uh, completely alone, completely by himself. He turns to John the Baptist. John, of course, says, I'm supposed to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, this is how this is to be done to fulfill all righteousness. As Jesus is walking away, John the Baptist, who has his own followers, says, behold the Lamb of God. And so what do people do? They leave John the Baptist and they start to follow Jesus, which is what John really wanted after all. Uh, but then the kingdom begins to grow and grow until he has, of course, his 12 apostles, many other disciples. After the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you have a group of, I think, 120 gathered in the upper room. And then from there, it explodes and begins to grow and grow and grow throughout, if you read the book of Acts, throughout the Asia Minor. And then, of course, even now, working to the ends of the world. It starts off small and grows from there. Uh, why do you think that is, by the way? Why do you think God chose to, to start the kingdom, or chooses to start the kingdom very small? Um, why couldn't he have said, you've got, we got Rome. Rome's very, very powerful. There's a whole Roman Empire, the most powerful empire that's ever been on the planet up to that point in time. Let's just use them, and then they'll spread the kingdom. I think if he did that, people would say, well, God doesn't get all the glory, does he? He gets half the glory. Uh, Rome did half the work reaching the world, and then God chose something big and strong and used that to bring uh, glory to his name and bring people to faith in Jesus. But when he starts with one man, when he starts with a single modicum of faith, he gets the glory because he's doing the work and he's bringing about something big and mighty that spreads over the whole planet. Friends, remember this. Remember this, that God starts off small. His rule and his reign start off small. Uh, maybe this is true for you personally. Right now, you need to remember this. You're saying, you know what, Pastor Rick, my life is a mess. I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where to turn from here. The first thing you want to do is turn to the gospel. Start off with a prayer. Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. I repent of my sin. I'm entrusting my life to you. I can't do this. I don't have the strength of my own ability but I look to you. And then what happens from there? God begins to change and to transform us. The rule and the reign of God over your life begins to take effect. Maybe you're someone who says, you know, I don't really know the Bible. I, I, um, I've been a Christian for five, ten years, and I just really, I'm still confused by this book. I want to know it, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Well, start off by just reading a chapter, maybe two chapters a day. Prayerfully meditate on it through it and let God begin to speak to you from there the kingdom starts off small maybe it has to do with a ministry you're thinking you know what I really I feel a burden I feel a conviction that God wants me to do something some type of ministry whatever that may, may be God wants me to reach gangs in the city of Haverhill here like our brother Jesus uh, mentioned last week a little bit and certainly at the leadership retreat or God wants me to reach into the hospitals or nursing homes or whatever it may be there's a ministry that God puts on your heart and you say what am I supposed to do this this task or this idea of trying to help these people seems too big for me I want to reach out to those who are struggling with mental illness or I want to reach out to those in our city who are hungry and poor I don't, I don't know where to go from here start off small 
The kingdom starts with a mustard seed. Act in obedience to the Lord and see what he does and what he brings about. And certainly, friends, I think this applies to our church. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. I think we've we've talked about this, but this church started um, 255 years ago, January 1st. All right, so this coming January 1st, 255 years ago, a group of Christian believers met in a living room. Yeah, this was a house church when it began. And they had a dream and a vision that God would use that church uh, in this city of Haverhill. It was called the Baptist Church in Haverhill, basically. There was no other Baptist churches, so they didn't have to be First Baptist Church. They're just the Baptist Church here in Haverhill. And here we are, 255 years later. God has done some amazing things, including what he's done in the mission field and what he's done here in this city and lives that were transformed and people sent off from here. And God is still working in our city. He started with a mustard seed. And friends, this is certainly how God works when it comes to missions. Um, We want to reach a whole new area. We want to reach... Bangladesh for the gospel. We want to reach Tibet for the gospel. Where do we go from there? Send a missionary. (laughs) You got to start somewhere. And a missionary gets sent and he or she goes there, begins to live there, get to know the people, share the good news in the kingdom, the rule, and the reign of God begins to advance from there. Friends, if you feel under-equipped for ministry, if you feel like your life has too much sin, you have too many problems, you have too many issues in your life to really be used by God, good. You're in the perfect place. (laughs) Start there. Because that's exactly the type of person that God loves to use for himself and for his own kingdom. The kingdom starts small. It doesn't stay there, of course. What happens next, as we see here, the kingdom grows and it grows and it grows. It spreads and it spreads and it spreads. What happens to the little mustard seed? Uh, It begins to sprout and from there it grows, he says, into a tree. Uh, it's, it's basically a very large bush, uh, but might as well be a tree because of its size. Uh, I looked up how big these mustard bushes get. They reach a mature height of anywhere between 6 to 20 feet tall and 20 feet in, uh, it's sp- with a 20-foot spread. Exceptional plants can reach up to 30 feet tall under ideal conditions. So that tiny little seed that you couldn't see in my hand becomes a for some, in some cases, a 30-foot tree with a 20-foot span. It gets very large. How does it get from that tiny little seed into that big tree? It grows, and it grows, and it grows. Uh, the same thing is true of the yeast. He men- mentions uh, a certain amount of yeast here. He, calls it, he says here, uh, a woman took and hid three measures of flour. That's about 50 pounds of flour. So Jesus intentionally uses a significant amount of flour, 39 liters Um, of flour that someone takes and adds some yeast and what do you have to do to get that yeast to spread into the whole thing you got to work it in knead it into the rest with your hands or with a spoon Uh, they didn't have these you know big giant electric mixers that we have today I I used to work at Papa Gino's when I was a teenager and I remember making the dough they had this big giant mixer and you took literally took a big uh, bag of flour cut it open dropped all that in there took a bucket, filled it with water, dumped the water in there, and then you took one cup of yeast. That's it. And dumped that in there, and then the electric mixer does all the rest. How does that yeast get into the rest of the flour? It spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. Friends, that's what happens in our own lives. Uh, How how does one become a mature Christian? Uh, You know, overnight, from the first day you turn your life over to Jesus, begin to be fully and completely surrendered to him, ready to be used in a mighty way for his kingdom. It doesn't usually work that way. It takes some time. You begin to grow 
and grow and grow. Other areas of your life that you're struggling with become under the submission of the rule of God. Your whole life begins to be transformed and turned over to him. That's a process, of course, that lasts for the rest of our life. We never actually arrive there. How did the gospel reach nearly to the ends of the earth? Well, it's obvious how it did. It had to grow and grow and grow. It had to spread and spread and spread. Uh, As we see in the book of Acts, one person shares the gospel with another person. That person shares the gospel with another person, another person. It goes from individual to individual to individual, from family to family to family, from little towns to little town to little town, to big cities like Rome or Ephesus, to regions like all of Judea or Galatia, to countries like Spain uh, and India, and eventually, friends, to whole continents. It grows and it grows and it grows. And God's kingdom continues to advance. Here's the reality, friends. Nothing will stop it. (laughs) We talked about this two weeks ago, uh, but Christianity in the world is actually growing. Um, Now, all the population of the planet is growing, right? So you'd say, well, of course it's growing. It has to grow with the rest of the population. No, it's outpacing even the population growth of the world. They they say 32% of the world now claims to be a believer in Jesus, claims to have some faith in Christ, to be Christian. Uh, That 32% is projected to become 33%. You say, that's only one percentage. Well, when you're talking about the population of the planet, (laughs) 1% is a very, very large number. It's continuing to grow and grow and grow. The mustard tree is spreading its leaves. The yeast is making its way forward in all the earth. And friends, we get to be part of that growth. Uh, God's plan never fails. Uh, When you look at ministry, when you look at the advance of the gospel, you will succeed. Now, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that every ministry that we start will be a success. Uh, Actually, oftentimes there's a trail of failures. (laughs) And actually, that's part of God's plan, I think, as well. We learn from our mistakes and we learn from the fact that, okay, God used that for a time period, perhaps, and that came to an end. Um, Haverhill has pretty radically changed uh, since when I was a kid. And I'm not, I'm not even all that old. Um, when you look at just the city of Haverhill, you see the churches. The churches have changed. Uh, some of the, the long-time churches here are no longer here. Uh, Portland Street Baptist Church, First Congregational Church across the street. And, and then you see, but you see all of these other new churches, church plants that have come into our city. There are new ones opening up regularly. As I said, we're, we're just now starting to host a new one that right now is really just a big Bible study. <laughs> An ethnic uh, group started a big Bible study that they're hoping will eventually become a full-fledged church. God is regularly working in advancing his kingdom. And just take great confidence in that. Um, I hope and my, I, I pray uh, that First Baptist Church will be here when Christ returns. Uh, that may be tomorrow, That might be 100 years from now. That might be 500 years from now. I have no idea. Uh, But I hope that this church is still, not this building, these people, this unbroken chain from 1765 will still be meeting and worshiping on the day that Christ comes back. Wouldn't wouldn't that be an awesome and amazing thing for this church to still be here on that day? But even if, God forbid, that this church did have to eventually close the doors, as other churches have had to do, God's kingdom is not done. (laughs) He continues to spread his rule and his reign. And friends, we never, never have to live in fear that God's purposes will fail. 
You know, uh, this coming Thursday is Halloween. Um, and uh, some of you guys know I posted something on Halloween. I'm just curious about what Christians think about Halloween. And I get a lot of different feedback. Um, there are people who say it's just fun and games. Uh, and they may be right. That's true. I mean, in, the, in a practical level, that's, that's what it's become, right? Just kids get out there and have fun. And uh, it's no big deal. Others are, take the other sort of extreme, would say Christians should have nothing to do with Halloween. It is an evil uh, holiday, it's darkness, and we should completely stay away from it. And then I think the majority, it's fair to say, of the comments I got, that's small sampling, there were like 60-something comments, um, the majority said, no, Halloween's a great opportunity to reach out to our neighbors. Uh, what other day of the year do people literally show up at your door, ring the doorbell, and want to talk to you? <laughs> this is a huge opportunity. Neighbors get out and talk and chat, and as Christians, why should we not be part of this? And certainly to have spiritual conversations uh, with other people. Uh, whatever you, you land, wherever you land on that whole thing, uh, you, know, you need to be clear in your own conscience, and I think there's Christian liberty there. Um, here's what I would want to add to the conversation. Fear should play no real part in this. Sometimes when I hear Christians saying, we shouldn't be involved in Halloween, that's dark and that's evil, so we should kind of hide away from it. It sounds like fear. And here's what I would say. We have the king of kings on our side. There is no fear when it comes to spiritual things for the Christians. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? We, we're, we're on victory. Here's a little bit of the background of Halloween, just so you understand it. So when uh, the Celts had a holiday, a pagan holiday, when we say pagan, we immediately think negative, right? But you got to remember, before the Christian faith came somewhere, they had beliefs. Those are pagan beliefs. That's all it means. Uh, pagan beliefs are pre-Christian beliefs, usually in a different area. So they're in Ireland, in the Celtic region. They had a certain holiday called Samhain. Uh, Samhain was the day that they believed the spiritual world, the spirit world, um, and the physical world came most closely aligned. That was what Samhain was. Uh, so, uh, so closely aligned that you could actually jump from one to the other which I think is an interesting theory, right? On that one day of the year, if you're in the physical world and you want to enter the spirit world, you can kind of jump from, from there, or vice versa. If you're something in the spirit world and you want to jump to the physical world, you, you jump to the other. So Patrick comes to Ireland. He shares the gospel and basically wins over the whole island. So here's a guy without fear, right? He steps into the, 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 the pagan place of the Celts, shares the gospel, and you see a mass conversion of the, almost the entire island to the Christian faith. So what does the Christian church do? They say, why do we take this pagan holiday that clearly has some spiritual reality to it, and let's change it to All Hallows' Eve. <laughs> let's change it to the day we celebrate all the saints and souls who have gone before us, who have died and who are now in the presence of God, and we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So rather than cowering in fear, they said, we're going to overtake this. <laughs> We're going to win this over for the Christian faith. Friends, there, there is no spiritual force in this world that you have to live in fear of. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, you, you may notice that because it's the Halloween season, uh, you turn on your TV and there's horror movies on all day, right? Even in the middle of the day, you can watch Poltergeist or whatever you want, whatever's on TV there. Um, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus confronts the demoniac. And, and I love this story because it's like a horror movie. Uh, you got this guy living in the tombs. He's insane. He's possessed. He's crazy. Uh, they try to chain him, it says, but he breaks the chains every time. 
So he has superhuman strength. He lives there cutting himself regularly. He lives there among the, among the Gentiles. He lives there among pigs. So just to give you the atmosphere here, he's, he's in these dark tombs. He's screaming and yelling. And you get the sound of, of pigs squealing in the background. The dark setting. And Jesus steps into that horror story. And the man approaches Jesus and falls down on his face. And Jesus says, what is your name? You guys know the story. My name is Legion. What is a legion? A legion is a military term. It refers to 6,000 Roman soldiers. So if that is a literal description, then he's saying, I'm possessed by 6,000 demons. And legion is a military term. So these are, these are war, ready for battle, a legion. And they beg Jesus for mercy. <laughs> Friends, that's the king that we serve. Uh, we, we don't have to live in fear of any spiritual reality in this world. Go and attack <laughs> what is out there for the gospel's sake. Uh, bring people over to the truth, to Jesus. The kingdom will grow. grow. The rule and the reign of God continues to spread. Friends, as we seek to reach our city here in Haverhill, uh, we start off small. <laughs> Pray, wait patiently and watch and see what God begins to do. His kingdom grows and it grows, and it grows. It spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. And lastly, believe that the kingdom gets very large. <laughs> believe that the kingdom gets really big. Uh, Jesus said, how big does he say? He says that the mustard tree becomes so large that the birds of the air begin to nest and to rest in its branches. Uh, what do you think the birds refer to? Uh, three theories that are sort of out there. One is uh, that it, ref- it doesn't refer to anything. It's not directly symbolic of anything. It's just basically uh, a detail to describe how big it's getting. Something so big that birds would rest in it. So the birds aren't symbolic of anything specifically. Uh, that may be the case, although in, on the other parables, he's, Jesus seems to point to very uh, specific symbolic references to things like this. Um, others say this refers to the Gentiles. The tree, the kingdom, gets so big that even the Gentiles begin to rest in its branches. I don't think that's the case, simply because how would you know that? I mean, there's no reason why you would jump to that conclusion. Nothing in the passage kind of shows you that. Maybe the case, though. Uh, here's my working theory. So understand, at this point, I don't, have, I don't have Jesus explaining the parable on this one. Right? He explained the previous two. This one, he leaves it to us. Uh, I'm thankful to Jesus that he explained the previous two, because we probably would have gotten those wrong, right? But in this one, he leaves us to ourselves. Here's my guess, that in the previous parable of the sower, the birds, he says, refer to the devil, uh, who comes and snatches away the word, the, the, the seed that's sown. Well, and if you think maybe birds, plural, it's the devil and his fallen angels, and they, they, the devil and his demonic forces that are at work, and when someone's heart is hard to the gospel, certainly there is spiritual warfare that happens. Satan is happy to snatch that away. I wonder, in this parable, if the birds from the heavens here refer to angels. In other words, God's kingdom grows and spreads so well and so far and so big that even the angels come down and rejoice over the ministry that's being done. Even spiritual forces for good come and enjoy watching lives transformed and changed for the gospel. How, how big does it get? It gets so big, it says here, that the yeast, the leaven, works its way in through 
all of the flower. Uh, that Greek word, that Greek phrase, all, is an interesting one. You know what it means? All. That's what it means. <laughs> so it works its way through the entire batch of dough. Uh, the whole thing gets leavened. Uh, the whole entire 50 pounds of flour are affected by the yeast. How big does it get? It gets really, really big. God's kingdom grows. Uh, how does this apply to his kingdom in the world? Certainly we see in scriptures that Jesus says that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. We're not quite there yet. Uh, we're getting closer. We're going to hear more about this next week, Lord willing. Um, but we're not quite there yet. So we're still growing. The, the, the branches and the leaves of the mustard tree are still reaching further and farther as other birds come to perch. There are still parts of the flower that need to be kneaded <laughs> with the yeast. We're not quite there when it comes to the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, though we're getting close. Let's be honest, we're getting pretty close. We're not quite there yet. As this applies to the rule and the reign of God, I think, over your own soul, uh, what a reminder, again, that there is no part of your life that you say, no, God, this belongs to me. Uh, the, the yeast, which, interestingly enough, yeast is usually used in a negative way in Scripture. It's usually used for false teaching or evil. Jesus turns that upside down. Yeast is good here. Uh, the yeast reaches the entire batch of dough. Uh, I, I think as a Christian, as you grow... If you try to keep one part for yourself, <laughs> you will grow so uncomfortable until that part begins to be, begin to be convicted and turn that part over to the Lord. I'll give you a couple examples. Somebody who says, Lord, I love you. I read your word, pray. You're God, uh, you're king. But my little anger issue, I keep that to myself. <laughs> you can't have that. My little road rage when I'm driving... Uh, my snapping at my kids because they're disobedient and yelling and saying things that I regret. That part I keep to myself, God. You can't have that. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever be, we'll ever sit comfortably with that. Or another example is someone who says, God, I, I'm, I, I go to a small group and I, I, I worship you. I listen to Christian music and sermons throughout the week. Uh, but I have this little sexual perversion issue that I keep to myself not going to go well. I have this little pornography issue. No one really knows about it, but, you know, that's just between me and me. And me. <laughs> God will not allow that until the whole batch is leavened. And one more, um, same thing. I, you know, God, I got everything, everything else in order, uh, but, um, but this whole sort of tithing, giving thing. And I'm not speaking to, to, to non-Christians or visitors. We, we actually don't even want your money. Uh, but for those who believe in Jesus... This is part of the Christian life and discipleship. Uh, I pray. I give my time. That's good enough, isn't it? <laughs> Read the Bible. You tell me. Uh, if you try to keep one part to yourself, it'll be a conviction until the whole batch is leavened. The rule and the reign of God is complete. He doesn't allow any of us to say, I keep this part entirely to myself. Friends, as I said, it doesn't just refer to the soul. It refers to all of the world. How do we, as Christians, reach our city? Um, not just some of our city, all of our city. Uh, and this is one of the things we wrestled with as a leader at the leadership retreat. Um, and I think here's one of the things we came to uh, talking through this. Uh, we want to have good, excellent programs here at our church. So... We, a programmatic approach 
is very important. We want to make sure that there there are aspects, there are parts of our city that are going to take a structured, organized program to reach. For example, we want to feed people in this city who are hungry. Uh, It's hard to hear about Jesus when your belly is grumbling. And we want to make sure people hear the good news. Yes, but we also want to make sure they have full bellies and a jacket on their back. And we do that best together as a church through a program. Uh, We want to, as a church, care for pregnant moms who have nowhere to go. And so we support the pregnancy care centers. We know that that, yes, one-on-one discipleship helps for that, but the program is a good idea. And I can go on. We want to reach into the prison, and so we support New Brothers Fellowship, and we want to have an an organized nursing home ministry that runs a service. And uh, so we are 100% behind good programs. But that leaves still the vast majority of the city of Haverhill unreached. There are neighborhoods and neighborhoods, schools and schools and businesses and businesses that don't have someone, don't have a program to actually reach them. And God's plan, as he says right in his word, for reaching those people is you and me. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So one of the more insightful comments, there was a lot of insightful comments, but at the leadership retreat, one insightful comment I heard was, we don't have enough time to do all the programs. We don't have enough volunteer time to do all the programs we would need to do for our church to reach everybody. If, if everyone in our church devoted five hours a week, let's say, we'll push it up, 10. Everyone in our church, every member here voted 10 hours of the week to volunteer service to one of our outreach programs, we still would not have enough hours to reach our whole city. However, if everyone in our church took seriously the calling in their own life to be salt and light and to make disciples in all the contexts that God has you in already would reach the whole city. Us, and along with other good Bible-believing churches. Now, who's going to reach into these neighborhoods out there in western Haverhill? Those who live there. When you go home today, and you spend time with your kids, you're called to make disciples. Or you get your grandkids over the weekend, next weekend or something, you're called to make disciples of them. Love them, show them Jesus, tell them about Jesus, help them to understand. If you have a non-believing spouse, it's, it's your job. God has given you the ability to make disciples. Who's going to reach your neighbors, your next-door neighbors? Uh, who's going to reach the kids who go to school with your kids? You, <laughs> you and your kids. You're, you're called to everyday life ministry. Who's going to reach all of these small businesses in Haverhill or these larger Fortune 500 companies in Boston and the surrounding area? We're not going to create a program for that. We already have one. It's called you. You and me going into these places and sharing the good news. Who's going to reach your extended family, your cousins and aunts and uncles at every family gathering and funeral and wedding? God has given you an opportunity to make disciples, to be salt and light. When you go into the grocery store, you work, uh, if you, you volunteer your time in some civic organization, or you volunteer for Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or whatever it may be, and you interact with those around you, God is giving you an opportunity to make disciples. That's how the yeast gets leavened into the whole batch. That's how the tree grows and grows and grows. It's all of us together are called to make disciples. 
Friends, if, if we as a church take seriously this calling of a 24-7, 24-7 ministry, where every aspect of our life, in a sense, becomes making disciples. All right, well, you got to sleep. I don't know if you're making disciples in your sleep. Maybe you can make disciples in your sleep. I don't know. If you've got some ideas, let me know. Uh, let's say 14-7. 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you're spending time with other people and you're using that as an opportunity to make disciples, I think, would be effective, more effective for the kingdom and we would make more disciples here in our city and we'd see a transformation in time. The kingdom starts small and it grows and it grows and it grows until it gets very large. Now God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I wonder if sometimes the reason why we don't see God work as well as we could is because we don't imagine it. <laughs> we don't dream of it. We don't wish it. We don't pray for it. We don't ask him to do great things. Uh, keep in mind, however, uh, as we come to a close here, that we're, we're playing the long game. We're in this for the long haul. Um, 255 years is halftime. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we're we're, we're going to try to reach our city until the day Christ either closes the doors of this church, which hopefully never happens, like I said, or the day he returns. Just out of curiosity, I was thinking about how long it takes for a mustard seed to grow. Um, actually, we think about the yeast first. How long does it take to, to, to mix, uh, if it's one person, one lady working, 50 pounds of flour with, uh, with a cup of yeast? It takes a while, right? I mean, you've got to work your hands uh, get, get it all in there, nice and mixed up. Then you break it up into loaves and bake it, and then you got to let it cool. And so it, it's not a simple, easy, quick uh, project. How about the mustard seed? Well, it takes about five to ten days for the seed to germinate. So this is an article called The Life Cycle of Mustard Plants. Uh, five to ten days for it to germinate. Um, and then after that, uh, as you can imagine, it doesn't grow into a huge tree overnight. Uh, it takes about 90 days. So, interestingly enough, about 100 days. It takes about 100 days for a mustard, tiny little mustard seed like we have here to grow into this large tree. It takes patience. It takes prayerfulness. It takes diligence and consistency and perseverance of witness. Uh, God has given us, this city and the surrounding towns, as a mission field for us, friends. And as we, together as a church, seek to reach our city and to leaven the entire batch, <laughs> let's continually be at this calling and this mission to reach the city for Jesus, that they would know him and have his rule and reign over their lives. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious God, we thank you so much for this season of life in our church, uh, a season of ministry and life that I'm sure this church family has gone through many, many times over its long history, a time of reflecting on the calling to mission, uh, that is the great commission uh, to make disciples of all nations, which would include our own backyard here in our city, as well as looking to the ends of the earth. And Father, even as we recognize that it starts small, um, we know we're dependent on you. We know that we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit and his empowerment, if his causing growth, enabling it to spread and making us fruitful for the kingdom. So we look to you with dependency. 
I pray, Father, perhaps you have convicted or encouraged someone here today who's thinking about starting a new ministry or thinking about how God is going to use them. Uh, maybe this is the push, the encouragement they need, Lord, to begin, to start and to bathe it all in prayer and to keep at it, to persevere, Lord, to take the time it takes for it to grow and grow and grow. And certainly, Lord, we recognize that temporary failures are part of this world as well. Not everything we start, not everything we try to do will succeed right away, um, but we keep at it. We persevere. We keep going. So help us as a church family, Lord, yes, in our programs to reach our city and impact those around us, but more than that, Lord, individually as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who are committed to the commission that you've given us to go and make disciples in every aspect and in every area of our lives. Thank you, Father. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.